Hey, Cabot Cove Gazette fans, this is TJ coming to you with a little favor to ask of you. So my dear colleague and co-host Bridget is currently undertaking a survey on both Murder, She Wrote and Angela Lansbury fandom for a book she is currently writing. So if you are as in love with either Murder, She Wrote or Angela Lansbury as we are, we, she and I would love it if you could take about 30 minutes, it's uh, 30 questions on the questionnaire, to speak a little bit about your own fandom, what drew you to Murder, She Wrote, and so forth. And you can find the link for it on our Cabot Cove Gazette social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks very much in advance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your favorite Murder, She Wrote podcast and ours to the Cabot Cove Gazette. I am your co-host, TJ West. And I'm Bridget Keyes. And we're so happy to join you again uh, to talk about everyone's favorite author-turned-detective, shall we say. Bridget, why don't you tell us a little bit about this week's episode? So this week we're talking about sudden death, aka the Caitlyn Jenner episode. This week Jessica and Jessica's uncle Cyrus dies and leaves her some shares of a holding company that holds a football team. So essentially she becomes part owner of a football team and she travels to check out the team. Murder ensues. There's some nonsense with a wet bathtub and a little girl who teaches her sign language. <laughs> That's really all we need to know to get started. Right. I mean, let's let's begin with the most important thing first, which is that the one lesson I took away from this episode was do not have carpeting in a bathroom. Me too. I was like, thinking that, is, that too. That is the lesson I took away from this. <laughs> like, why? Why would you have carpeting in a bathroom? I mean, we now live in an anti-carpet era, which I'm very profoundly grateful for because I personally hate carpet. Because it's very unsanitary. It's just gross. Like, there's no... You cannot convince me that any carpet is not disgusting. It's just... Well, you should never have it in a bathroom because bathrooms are wet places and wet carpet sounds moldy. Uh, but what TJ is especially referencing is that the aha clue in this episode is that someone was supposed to be... The dead body is found in a hot tub and Jessica, on a hunch, goes to his house and investigates his bathroom and there's magically carpet around the tub and the carpet is wet, which means he originally drowned in his own bathtub and the body was moved. And of course, she would never have learned this important clue had his bathroom been tiled like a normal bathroom. Yes. Yeah, so that's the that, that to me is the most important takeaway from this. <laughs> you know what? My parents had carpet in their bathroom. We did too at one point in one of our houses that we lived in. This was in the 90s even. It was so gross. Yeah. Ours I, I was also in the 90s. It was like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, and if you have pets, it's just like, no. I mean, just here, here's our public service announcement on behalf of the Cabot Cove Gazette. If you have carpet, get rid of it and just get hardwood or laminate flooring. Like well, in your the... bathroom, get tile because you need something that absorbs water. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that is our that is our <laughs> beginning and ending. Thank you for joining us for the Cabot Cove Gazette. That's we really not where it. I thought we were going to go with this conversation today at all, truthfully. I didn't know. I especially didn't know you were going to lead with that. I wanted to get that out of the way early because I just, I was so morally offended by the idea of having carpeting in the bathroom. But I also found this to be a rather silly episode. I mean, I liked it when I watched it. But the uh -huh. more I think about it, the more absolutely untenable the whole proposition of Jessica randomly inheriting a football team comes. It reminds me of the episode of the Golden Girls where the, where the women like purchase a prize fighter. I mean, it's just one of those ridiculous premises that feels a little sitcom-y just because it's like, well, how, what, what zany thing can we immerse Jessica in? Yeah. This week, and it's... it feels like they had an idea for like this really funny comedic premise that she's going to own a football team. And it's funny because she's an old lady. Mm -hmm. 
and they, she doesn't know anything about sports. But actually, there's very little football in this. Right. There's like one scene where she goes to the fo- like to the field where the team is like piling up on each other. And since I don't know anything about football, I was just like, okay. You were like gay orgy. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And she goes to the. And then she's like doing some stretches with Dick, but- Dick Butkus. And that's about it. But but the um the sitcommy gags of the episode happen frequently like there's lots of there's multiple scenes where she's like in a locker room and someone's like lady you can't be here mm-hmm. and she says no it's okay i'm one of the owners i love I, mean, I did love that though where she was always just the repeated refrain of it's okay i'm one of the owners i'm one of the owners <laughs> and then you know the whole point is that at one point uh dick buckus is naked because it's a locker room and then she doesn't realize he's naked and she goes whoa you have a weird look on your face are you feeling okay and then realizes he's naked and ha 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 she's in the locker room I, they're so stupid. But oddly charming in its own way. Did you think so? Because I just don't... Jessica Fletcher is not a dumb woman. True. She knows what a locker room is, and she's not naive enough to be like, I'm one of the owners, everything's fine. Like Right. And I mean, she also, as, you know, she, part of the episode's narrative is that they keep, everyone keeps trying to buy her off, like, to get the shares, because her uncle didn't own a lot of his shares in the team. She just... He owned enough to keep everyone else from having a majority stock. So everyone's trying to coerce her, and Mr. Kruger, the eventual victim, is like, "Here, I'll finally my final offer is like a hundred and ten thousand or something." And she, I wanted to be like, "Dude, this is a woman who literally gave a hundred thousand dollar check to a struggling writer like a few episodes ago. She's not interested in your money." Oh, and and we're off to kill the wizard. She gave the secretary a hundred thousand dollars. Like she's not interested in your money. Like it, that's just not how this is going to pan out. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, it was also like, you know, as we've seen before, there is very much the corporate logic or the sort of, you know, um, criticism of corporate America here, even more explicitly laid bare since they're all stockholders. And so, you know, there's that sort of anti-corporate patriarch that we've seen before in Murder, She Wrote, which I do appreciate that element, at least. In terms of the murder victim? Yeah. So Kruger, our murder victim, is... Uh... I don't actually understand what his title was. I don't either. He, but he th- was like the most coach, the most owner. I don't know. I guess, you know, uh, he's a stockholder. Like he's a primary stockholder, I guess. And I don't understand how corporate things That's work That's what I'm either. saying. He was like the most owner or something. And then, um, but he, he had, gets murdered. I think the term is he had con- a controlling interest. <laughs> I think most owner sounds better. So he had a controlling interest in the team, and he and he gets murdered. And um, I, interestingly, his wife is trying to divorce him, and so she's doing the thing where you take up residence in Nevada for a couple of weeks so that you can get a quickie divorce. I was like, "What is this? The forties? And the lawyer the lawyer calls and is like, "Hey, he's uh, he's 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 dead, and you've only been there twenty days. You better get back, and then you can inherit all his money." Let's talk about fashion. No, don't talk about fashion yet, because we need to talk about the plot still more because. I, is this a professional team, like an NFL team? Is that what we're supposed to think it was? Because their stadium's really tiny and everything looks really amateurish. I mean... So I was really confused. I mean, I don't know enough about how professional sports are organized to, to say for sure. I was assuming that maybe it was like a... I don't... Do they have minor leagues in football? I think so. I don't think they... Do they? I didn't think... I mean, that's what it seems like because it's like a tiny stadium and there's only four coaches instead of like 75. Right. And part of Kruger's ambition is to move into a bigger city. Like that's Right. Of, so so it was, seemed like minor... I didn't think the NFL had like minor... I didn't think there was minor league football. Maybe that's a thing. People will write in and tell... My dad will text me and tell me if we're wrong. 
I certainly hope so. Like someone will tell us <laughs> how this all works. Cause I know as little about football as I know about corporate. I think the people who wrote so, the episode know as little about football as we do. I, yes, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Sentiment. And, and the, you know, what we haven't talked about is, uh, is Caitlyn Jenner. And so the, the first people that Jessica meets when she goes to check out this team to see what's going on with her stock is, um, Caitlyn plays a guy named Zach and Jan Smithers, who is Bailey Quarter in WKRP mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, uh, plays the mom, Kathy. And then they have a daughter, Jill, who is deaf and signs. And uh, it's supposed to be another stupid gag, right? Like they're driving around the... See, that's why it looks amateurish. They, it has mm-hmm. a track around the football field. Yeah. And plus the That's like in are... high school. They have like bleachers. And bleachers, yeah. So anyway, they're driving like some giant oversized helmet golf cart thing. And they almost crash into Jessica, and then everyone laughs because they almost crash. And it's like, you could just turn the wheel. Mm-hmm. It was really, the episode is just full of dumb little gags, I think. But anyway. Um, Bridget had a much more hostile reception to this episode than I did. Yeah, it's a dumb noticed. episode. But the whole the whole point of Zach is that um, Zach was a player who got a bum shoulder and now can't play but is on a four-year contract. And so as long as Zach shows up to the stadium every day, they have to keep paying him. Uh, and so the guy who kills Kruger thinks, well, if I frame Zach for it, then Zach's going to be in jail, which means he's not showing up for work, which means we don't have to pay him anymore. So there's some really interesting intrigue, I think, about how like athletic contracts work. Mm-hmm. And plus the murderer is hoping to get the controlling share that he could then control the football team. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Jessica, it's, you know, the murder happens while they're all at a party that Jessica is, like, willing to go to, I guess, because she's up for anything. She's yeah. just met these people, and they're all into football, and she doesn't know shit about football, but she's like, let's go to a party, and she's dancing with them. Oh, I love and, uh, the scene where, she, like, her dancing partner disappears, and then she's just kind of, like, moving. <laughs> she's just bopping uh, around by herself. <laughs> but let's talk about her dress. That was a gorgeous outfit she was wearing at oh, that party. Oh, wow. I was literally just going to say, let's talk about her dress. It's hideous. Oh, see, this is why Bridget and I make perfect companions for this podcast, because we have such, as often as we agree, we just as often vehemently disagree. We should explain the dress to people who haven't seen the episode, so... Well, you're the sartorial descriptor. She is wearing a red shift. It looks vaguely silkish, uh, but it has a ruffled neck and ruffled wrists, and uh, so it's kind of clown-like. And we actually saw this dress in the episode before My Johnny Lies Over the Ocean. Um, no, that was Murder to a Jazz Beat. We've seen it very recently in one of the episodes. And TJ and I didn't get a chance to talk about it. And I wanted to talk about it because I think it's such a hideous dress. And then it reemerged here. And I think it's it's the first time that anything stands out to me as being a repeat in her wardrobe. But it's possible some of her blouses and sweaters have been and I just haven't noticed them. And Tej, you thought it was beautiful. Tell us more about that. I guess it's just because, like, I have a terrible fashion sense, so I can't really be relied on to be a, a good judge of such things. I don't know. I just thought it was rather graceful, and I like that kind of outfit. If I was an old lady, that's probably what I would wear to a, to a, to a dance. <laughs> I mean, and I say if I was an old lady as if I am not, in fact, an old lady. Can confirm TJ is an old lady. It's true. Sounds like a 38-year-old cis man is, in fact, actually an 84-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, essentially. I mean, that is the that is the, the title of my autobiography. <laughs> I don't know. I just liked it. I liked, I just, I liked the whole party scene, which I thought was, you know, very funny. The party scene was kind of cute. Yeah, it was one of those cute 
quintessential Jessica Fletcher kind of fish out of water, but as you say, game for anything scenes that are always so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so while we're at the party, you know, we zoom in on the clock, which is a trope that gets used a lot in Murder, She Wrote. And you know, it means there's a murder happening and we're supposed to pay attention to the timeline because it'll be important. Uh, and Zach has left the party because Zach got a note from Kruger saying that they were supposed to meet or something. And we find out later that Zach and Kathy actually um, had a private adoption for Jill and it might have been illegal. So someone is trying to blackmail them over it. So, of course, that might have been Zach's motivation for killing Kruger. But eventually we find out because of the wet bathtub carpet that actually the timeline was kind of a red herring. Mm-hmm. Someone could have killed Kruger within just a few minutes because his house is nearby. It didn't take quite as long as we thought to kill him at the stadium. Um, so this party scene is actually really interesting because it's it's showing us how Jessica is socializing with these people. And then it's also showing us... Um, you know, setting up the clues for who could have been the murderer because it's happening during this party, right? Mm-hmm. Who Who isn't in frame? And ultimately, she remembers that a guy changed his blazer during the party. She doesn't just uh, see it. She sees pictures. it in, yeah, from the Polaroids that she sees the, the pictures held up one to the, by next to one another. Yeah, pictures on the bulletin board of the party. Because um, mm-hmm. what I like to do is when I have a party, I like to develop my film and then put it on a bulletin board so everyone can remember the party they were just at like two days ago. Bridget, uh, to be quite honest, that does sound like something you would do. <laughs> totally. That, that, do. that very much sounds like something that you would absolutely do. Not only would you plan the party to the last detail, you'd be like, and just so everyone knows, I have a bulletin board afterwards so that, you know, we can all have fond remembrances of our party. And I'm handing out individualized scrapbooks to everybody. That sounds like Yeah. That. From the party that was literally like the, the two days before. So, um, so she's looking at these photographs and she sees that the guy changed his blazer and... Because she's Jessica Fletcher, she knows that must mean that it was wet from killing somebody. Mm-hmm. Because she is Jessica Fletcher and she makes amazing leaps of logic and they're always correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I like is when she confronts him, it's Webb McCord, right, is our bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't really get what he does in this episode other than just be a guy whose name is Webb McCord. I was trying to think of it, too, because I asked my, my boyfriend after the show, I was like, what was his role again? Like, Because I, I was like, did we ever hear explicitly what he does? Did I just miss it while I was cooking dinner? Yeah. Like, what did I, like, what exactly is his purpose other than just being another shareholder? Listen, TJ watches these while he's doing other things, and I'm a very attentive viewer. I'm watching with a pen and paper, taking detailed notes. I have no idea who Webb McCord is, honestly, except that he was a guy in the episode. I think the party was at his house. And uh, his name right. was Webb McCord, which is kind of cool. Yeah, this is, these are the vagaries of, uh, you know, bureaucracy, right? Of, of, of corporate bureaucracy that people have roles to play. Or you and I being totally clueless about football or both. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're clueless about corporate organization and football. So we're sort of at a double uh, disadvantage with this episode. But as you <laughs> rightly point out, I'm not entirely sure that the writers of this episode, you know, were uh, experts in either of these fields either. No, I think it's kind of a throwaway, just so, like the fun premise of fish out of mm-hmm. water. Haha, ha, Jessica inherits football team. But but what I was trying to get at was while she's confronting Webb about the, the blazer change, um, she makes up this whole lie about a missing button. And of course, he's like, oh, God, I must have lost the button when I murdered that guy. So I better go over to his bathtub and search for it down the drain. Again, another 
total leap of logic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but she finds him in the bathroom, and she's like, ha-ha, you're in the bathroom with the wet carpet, so you know where the guy was really killed. Therefore, you're the murderer. Mm-hmm. And she references what was really fun for me was that she references him. She says, you know, there was no missing button. I made that up. And she references Hooray for Homicide when a missing button on the marching band uniform was actually the clue. Uh, so there's like some fun call outs to other episodes of Murder, She Wrote here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also enjoyed the fact that she got the inspiration for the ruse by seeing her own earring in the drain of her own bathtub, which at first I was I was like, oh, what is the point of this? Like, where is uh-huh. this going? And then, of course, she decides to lay the trap and he steps right into it, which, of course, involves another classic J.B. Fletcher trope where she pretends to be someone that she's not. In this case, she play, pretends to be someone at the cleaners who calls him she and did. says, hey, there's a button missing on this jacket just so you know that it was missing when it came in so we don't get dinged That's for right. it. And she and she does it in a classically J.B. Fletcher style, which is to put a, you know, to basically hold her She just finger holds her, on her nose, nose, so she sounds it's... like a different person. <laughs> I was just like, that is so perfect. Because then when she confronts him, she comes in and does the imitation again. And he's like, oh, he must feel like, feel like such an idiot. Because of course it sounds just like J.B. Fletcher. J.B. Fletcher, hold like... your nose. But he has, he's only met her like, you know, twice at that point or something. Right, so maybe but he also, doesn't know I mean, how she I don't want to... I don't want to push this too far, but I do think there's something interesting about that whole notion of like the inst. How do I put this? The instability of the voice, because so often when we engage with people, like we voice is matched to the image. Like we see someone and we hear them speak, so we know what they sound like. But it can be very alienating when you think you talk to oh. someone on the phone, but they're not who you think. Yeah. Like, they sound different than they do in person. Like I have that phenomenon. Like I've talked to people, or I mistook mistook someone on the phone for being someone they weren't. Uh-huh. Just because, you know, there's such distortion. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just my brain is broken and I'm not able to, like, talk normally on the phone. But anyway, there's just something interesting, I think, about that yeah. as well. About the idea that one's voice, you know, doesn't always match one's persona or something like that. Sure. Okay. It's a little bit of, a little bit of uh, philosophy thrown in there, I suppose. So you wanted to talk fashion and we talked about the red clown dress. but Stop also... calling it that. The scene that you're referencing um, is a cute one. And, and then I have one other outfit I want to talk about. But uh, she's trying to take a bath. And she's got her hair wrapped oh, up in yes! a towel. Yes. And she's wearing a robe. And um, she's filling the tub. Her earring falls in, as TJ says. And that's when she gets the idea to pretend the button has gone missing. But she gets interrupted by someone coming to the door. And she's like, I'm trying to take a bath. But I guess, fine, come in and I can talk to you. Which is super weird because, like, in theory, she's you can see a little bit of a nightgown under the robe, but like in theory, she's naked under that robe, and like her bathtub's getting cold. Um, but it's a cute scene because it's it's Jessica, like on her off hours, mm-hmm. which we as I think fans and audience members don't we don't get much of that actually in Murder She Wrote, like right. Jessica off the clock being alone with herself, uh, and that's kind of fun to see her. Jessica Fletcher, an intimate portrait, as it were. An intimate portrait. I like that. But can we, hey, can we, can, I just want to pause because one of the things that immediately left to my mind, because yeah. I, I loved like the way her hair was swept up in a towel, which yeah. I just, I love that whole look, but I was like, oh my gosh, she looks like Mame. Because that looks like something oh. that Mame would you know be wearing. And I was like, I can't, I mean, maybe it's just my projecting backward, but I was just like, it felt like a, a little slight, maybe sartorial homage to, to Mame. To Mame. Oh, how interesting. She looks very grand there in her bathrobe and her hair swept up she in the did. towel. She did. She did. Um, 
which is not how she looked in the other outfit that I want to talk about, where she was wearing a pale denim shirt over which she has layered a dark denim sleeveless vest with a red neckerchief. TJ, who dressed her? What was she and they thinking? I don't know. It must be the 80s, I guess. Like, I mean, it was the age of denim, right? I mean, no, but, you know, she could just wear her normal, like, button-down with a cardigan over it or sweater vest over it look. I mean, this is an abomination. She looks like she's cosplaying as some kind of cowgirl. I I don't know... I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, you I think you're right. It's not this. one of the best J.B. Fletcher <laughs> fashion moments. It won't be making its way onto the eventual, like, golden... Or, uh, it's not going to make the Tumblr. Yeah, it's not going to make the, 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 the gram, as it were. So, you know, it's J.B. Fletcher. She can't hit the ball out of the park to use a sports metaphor all oh the time when God. it comes... Wrong sport, though, you know? We try and we, and we I, fail. I'm gay. I don't know what you we want. We punted, like, I think, is the... Is the that was no Hail Mary, I'll tell you that. There you go. That works. <laughs> um, the other thing that we haven't talked about is uh, the fact that Jill uses sign language. And mm. I think as much as we're supposed to laugh at, like, Jessica with football, um, we're also supposed to find joy in this episode and the fact that, um, you know, once they almost run Jessica over and she introduces herself to them, she recognizes that Jill signs. And so she speaks very slowly and deliberately because Jill reads lips, but she asks Jill to teach her sign language. And she and Jessica actually in their first encounter starts picking up signs. Um, and so every time we see Jill throughout the episode, Jessica's signing a little bit with her. And so that's supposed to be, I think, quite like the episode in Seattle where she got off the plane and was speaking Mandarin mm-hmm. um, to the Chinese nuns. And we were like, when did she learn Mandarin? I think this is another one of those moments where we're supposed to be remembered that she's a very intelligent woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's able to pick up sign language quite quickly, uh, maybe even knew some before this moment. So she's she's just worldly in a way that I think, and intelligent in a way that uh, makes her a very sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's the one thing that stood out to me during those scenes is, and I, I've mentioned that so many times on this pod before, but there's just so much warmth in uh lansbury's performance in those moments like you just you feel better just watching jb engage with people like i just the way she just seems has i have a natural grace with people regardless of who they are like she always looks at people on their own terms like rather than adopting say pity or anything like that like i think that that's i want to push back on that a little bit because one i'm not saying that the episode i'm not saying the episode doesn't do that yeah jb but one of the reasons that i don't like this episode is because i feel like jill's deafness is played uh really flatly and that um jessica immediately likes jill for no other reason than that she's deaf you know, she doesn't know anything about her. She never learns anything about her. Uh, Jill has no characterization. Right. We either see her signing or she's hugging and kissing people because she's so nice. Because she's deaf? Like, question mark, right? right. And so I think what the episode had wanted to do was to um, give us a character with a hearing impairment, a disability who is in that and that can fit into the world and that and to show us that Jessica is really great with people of all different abilities, right? And she learns how to communicate with lots of different kinds of people. Um, but I think from a 2020 perspective, it falls a little bit flat because mm-hmm. we lose all of Jill's agency, all of her sense of being an actual human being. Um, instead, she's, and it makes her seem really immature too, because all she does is just like hug and kiss her mom and sign. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I also would just be like, well, she is like a one-off character, and, and not, and she's not even a particularly central character to the story. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I would have expected any more development of this particular. I mean, Jessica just seems like totally enamored. with Sure, her. but I mean, that's true of Jessica with lots of people. Like, I don't think this is out of character. I don't think this is really out of character for JB. Like, it just seems like mm. how she engages with lots of people, especially children. Like, I don't think I would actually argue that it's less that she is deaf than that she's just a child and JB loves children. Like, and has shown mm-hmm. time and again. In part, I think, because she never had any of her own, as she wasn't blessed in that way, as we knew from a few episodes ago, that she always just has a natural rapport with children and with young people in general. So that's mm-hmm. where I was sort of coming at it from. But I don't disagree with you, mm-hmm. like, on the merits. I just think that maybe... It's a little cringy, I think, for a, a 2020 sensibility. Um, but I understand what they were trying to do in 1985. And in fact, to TJ's point, you know, the end of the episode, uh, Jessica has just... Everyone's trying to get Jessica's shares so they can be the majority shareholder in this football team. And at the end, what Jessica's decided to do is to put them in trust for Jill. Uh, And Zach has somehow acquired shares from somebody else, too. So now, actually, Zach and Jill, his daughter, will be partners owning the team. So it's another really moment of, like, total generosity on the part of Jessica Mm -hmm. uh, for a kid that she's only known, like, two days. Well, it's like really sweet, but also she doesn't need the money. Right, I mean, we already know that she has apparently is swimming in cash from the enormous success of her murder novels, mystery novels. Sorry, yeah. I mean I guess they are murder novels, but <laughs> novels about how to murder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean I I don't, but like I said, I don't disagree with you that it can feel a little bit after school, especially with with uh-huh. the, with the death storyline. Uh-huh. I mean, as I'm not particularly. Okay, I'm going to say this, but I don't really mean it. But I can sometimes be a rather unsophisticated viewer, or I, I sometimes put it, I'm a very credulous viewer. So I tend to like just sort of absorb whatever it is the show is trying to tell me or make me feel, which is kind of ominous if you think about it, <laughs> you know, and not particularly like what we expect from a trained, you know, media scholar. But nevertheless, I did feel oddly touched by the ending, you know, with her hugging giving the girl her and the giving shares. her the shares. Money's yeah. like, oh, I feel so much yeah. better about this. It's, I, I, I think there's <laughs> like, something really was... nice about the fact that, like, obviously Zach is deeply invested in the team, and he's really upset that he can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the fact that he is now an owner and that Jill is now an owner, and they've been struggling for money, um, and now, like, they're set, right? And we're supposed to think that Jill has these disadvantages, whether she does or does not is not the point, but we're supposed to think she does. And now she has this like sort of largesse bestowed upon her. Um, so she'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's actually really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess that I am the sort of, I was and am the target audience for, you know, a murder, sh- a good murder she wrote episode. And that I both, as I said, rather credulous, but I'm also an old lady. So it's just like, I'm the perfect person to sort of <laughs> absorb this message of empowerment, of feel good <laughs> empowerment that comes feel from Feel goodness. That yeah. comes from the ending. Although I just, as I said, it does have a little bit of a, a cliched feel. After school special. A very special episode. as they... A very special episode of Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. Tucked, tucked, um, tucked into the rather absurd plot of the football I know. You know, speaking of the absurdities of the plot, I mean, uh, there's this great moment where Zach has been arrested and booked for murder one because they think Zach is the one who killed Kruger. And Jessica's like, can I talk to Zach? And the police lieutenant tells Zach, I figured it'd be all right for you to talk to Mrs. Fletcher since she's one of the owners. First of all, 
So, like, you know, just the fact that she's an owner of the team gives her all this, like, what, permission to circumvent the law. And then he says, and since she doesn't believe you did it. So we know that often in criminal investigations, um, it's really useful to have potential suspects interrogated by people who didn't believe they did it. That's usually what will lead to a fair and impartial trial on their behalf, right? Mm. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. She She's one of the owners and she doesn't believe you, she did it. So you should probably talk to her. Okay. <laughs> Good police work. <laughs> yeah. So to add to the to add to the uh, the gaping laws of logic as far as football corporate, and we can now add criminal investigation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're nearly out of time, but we haven't even talked about our guest stars in this episode. We have right. Well, we we mentioned Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus, uh, who was a big football guy. Yeah. I, people who are listening will probably know better than us trying to explain who he it's is. It's a name I knew who, like, I knew of it in the 80s and 90s, but I... He's referenced in all these 80 TV shows. I remember hearing his name growing up in all of these, in, in the 90s, too. Yeah. It yeah. was everywhere, so I, I don't yeah. know what else to say. Other than, I mean, most of them probably flew right over my head. I mean, clearly, like, I didn't... Well, David Doyle, who was Bosley from Charlie's mm, Angels. Yes. You recognized him, surely, right? He's our shady lawyer this week. And then Jan Smithers, I mentioned. And then Caitlin's coming off her 1976 Olympics win. Right. And had very calculatedly worked with her publicist to try to parlay that win into fame through Wheaties and um, Can't Stop the Music, the movie with the village people, uh, and trying very specifically to to make a move into TV and stardom. Mm. What a wild time uh, to be in, you know, life. Yeah. And so this episode is 85, so it's been about 10 years. But I think still she would have been really famous and well-known. Mm, almost certainly, yeah. So that's all I've, I don't really have much to say because it's not old Hollywood. So I'm just like, okay. <laughs> it's not old Hollywood or TV shows I watch with my grandma. So, you know. <laughs> it's not old Hollywood. And it's about football, so that's all we got for you, folks. <laughs> we don't know much. <laughs> uh. Well, that's probably a fair place to wrap up then. Seems like it to me. So, uh, as we always say, um, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate all the listens. We appreciate all the ratings. Don't forget to rate us on wherever you get your podcasts, because the more exposure we can get, the better we uh, can do. And so we thank you for all of that. So for the Cabot Cove Gazette, I am TJ. I'm Bridget. And we will see you next week. The Cabot Cove Gazette's theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada, used under Creative Commons license. You can find us on social media. We're Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.